You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. You know, I could make a list of all of the hurtful things that are happening around us. There's mocking of belief systems politically and religiously. There's doxing. There's bullying. There's theft. There's assault. Um, There's demeaning of others. There's infidelity. A whole list of hurtful actions that come because we live in a sinful world. And they're always going to be with us. They just are until Christ returns. So the question then becomes, how are we to live? How do we as Jesus followers navigate the sewage that's all around us? And that really is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so as we continue in our series that we call Making Jesus Known by Living Like Him, I want you to know that through the power of Christ, you can love people that seem almost impossible to love. In fact, Christ commands us to. And it's all part of learning to appreciate them and see them through God's eyes. It's all a part of loving people in a new and exciting way. So, loving others that are unkind is difficult. Loving others that hurt you, very difficult. But let's see what the Bible has to say. So if you have your Bible with you, or phone, or a tablet, go ahead and just open, if you would, to Matthew 5.48. And if not, you can just follow along on the screen. Love to have you bring your Bible. Someday when COVID is over, if that ever happens, we're going to have Bibles back in the pews for you, I hope. You can pray for the end of COVID so we can have Bibles I don't pray for that reason, because you can bring your own. All right, this is where we're going to start. Normally, we start at the beginning of a text. Normally, we say the last verse as a summary phrase, but we're going to start there because it'll frame our whole conversation. It's going to help us understand what God's standard is as we navigate this culture. So look at verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking it can't happen. Uh, I I don't know what that means because I, I can't be perfect. Well, let's unpack that, and that will help us learn how to love those that are difficult to love. And in this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus preached on that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, we've learned what it's like to live in His kingdom because His kingdom has different rules. His kingdom has different priorities than culture, than what we see around us. And so we've learned to live like the Beatitudes. And that encompasses love and humility and peacemaking and purity. And we've learned to be salt and light to the world. We've learned what it's like to be right with others and live with integrity. That's what it's like to live in the Lord's kingdom. But when I read this verse, verse 48, for the first time, and the command to be perfect, I thought, whoa, that's impossible. And you know what? Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But we have something that others don't have, and that is the power of Christ. You can't conjure up your own righteousness. But when you come to a decision to follow Jesus, then you are clothed and bathed in the righteousness of Christ. 
And this is what uh, Paul was enamored with in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him become the righteousness of God. And so already we have a pathway toward how we can be different. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been reconciled to God. And by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, by believing that he came and and died on a cross with your sin and my sin and the world's sin upon him in order to atone for it, and you trust him for your salvation, and you want to follow him, then you are bathed in the righteousness of Christ. In fact, that righteousness makes you pure when the Father looks at you. And so there is a way to align ourselves with the priorities of God. There is a way to learn how to live in the Lord's kingdom. There is a way to strive and move toward that perfection, become more Christ-like. Even though we'll never reach perfection, we are always becoming more like Jesus. And so this is how you be perfect, as the Father is perfect. That's what Jesus means. And that therefore, in that phrase, you therefore must be perfect is a reference to the teaching that Christ has already done in this section. And so what he's saying is, is that when you love others, it's not an option, even though it doesn't seem possible. He's commanding us to do this. And when you and I love this way, then the Ridgewood community will be enhanced. The, the, the Ridgewood community will thrive. We will learn to love each other well. We will coexist well. We will help each other. We will encourage each other. We will minister to each other, and we will go outside of our walls, and we will touch our community. All that is predicated on our ability and willingness to love each other in the way that Jesus will explain here. So let's unpack this difficult teaching on love. Look at verses 38 through 42. This first section that Jesus will delve into here involves the idea of giving up all your rights. It's counterintuitive. We don't necessarily like this idea as Americans, but here's the truth of the matter. Loving others in Christ's kingdom means giving up your rights. And you say, well, I'm an American. You say, well, we have the Bill of Rights. We have the Constitution. True. But we're talking about the kingdom of Jesus because we are ultimately citizens of heaven. And so we live differently because we are in the kingdom of Christ. Here are the Lord's words in 538 through 42. You have heard what it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So this is a stunning command. It really is. And and notice what Jesus does here. He addresses it in the way that we've gotten used to in the Sermon on the Mount. The words here, you have heard what it was said, refers to the teaching of the Jewish leaders. They twist the law. They they didn't want it to be like it was because they wanted to use it for their own benefit. And then, but I say to you, that's Jesus providing the proper interpretation of the law. 
And verse 38 quotes a famous law that is found in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So what does this mean? The intent of the law was not to try to get even. The intent of the law was to protect an innocent person from being charged or sentenced something to something that is way beyond what the crime would merit, to have proper retribution. And the problem was, is that if you didn't follow this, tribal warfare in that time would just continue to escalate. If you cut off someone's arm, they would come along and want to cut off the head, and they would just continue to go along. And so this was really a law that was for the courts more than individuals. And the Pharisees, because they wanted to twist it to their own end, they would drag it into the arena of personal vendettas, and they would try to wring as much revenge as they could out of someone. And so they read it like, hey, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, I'm going to take what's mine, I'm going to get revenge on you. But that's not the intent. It's this mistreatment of the law that Jesus responds to with this sweeping authority in 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. My kingdom's different. But how do we interpret this? How far do you go with this? And that same question applies to all these other commands. What if someone slaps you on the right cheek? Are you, are you supposed to turn and really get slapped? If anybody takes your tunic, are you really supposed to give them everything? If someone asks you to do something, are you supposed to go the extra mile? Yes, you are. It's all about self-sacrifice. That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to giving of self. And so if we just work through this at each one of these levels, a slap on the cheek would have been a gross insult in that culture. So Jesus pulls it out, speaking contextually to the culture there, and instead of getting angry and wanting retribution, what does Jesus say? Just turn your, turn your head and take another slap in the face. And then if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, refers to a garment that in our day would be very nice clothing. It'd be like a dress or a really nice suit, the kind I wear when I do weddings and so forth, and then I hear, hey, it's so good that we have a pastor now. You know? But I ignore those because I'm learning to love in a new and exciting way. He's saying, don't, don't just give him those really nice clothes. Take off your outer coat, which was an, an alienable possession in that culture, and give him that as well. Give more than what's required. And again, the point here is that we're giving up our rights. And the kingdom of Jesus is so different. In verse 41, Jesus asked his followers to go two miles if forced by a Roman soldier to go one. Now he's really getting into the nitty-gritty because... The Romans were terrible. And what they would do, as the oppressing force they were, they would make Jewish slaves, and it wouldn't be uncommon for them to come along and say, I want you to carry my luggage and my weapons, and you'd go a mile with them. And Jesus is saying, don't stop there. Go another mile. And you can almost hear the gasps in the crowd. Like, what is he talking about? These are the Romans. But that's what Jesus is saying. And finally, in 42, Jesus commands us to never refuse a beggar or bower. And it's not that we shouldn't be wise about who we give money to. It's not that we're not supposed to be wise about who we lend it to. But Jesus doesn't want his followers to be 
penny-pinching cheapskates. He wants us to be generous toward others. He wants us to live lives of generosity. And we have just come out of this season in our church that we called Illuminate. And I just have to say that you did an amazing job. I mean, the way that you gave, the way that you stuck to the plan and, and fulfilled your pledges in the middle of a pandemic was amazing. And I want to thank you for that. You are an amazingly generous church. We couldn't have never gotten to where we are now without your generosity. And so now we're moving into this next season. And Wendy and I realized that when we were in that first season, it was a little dicey. We'd never put a number like that down before. And so we had to pray and we had to trust. But I like living on the edge like that. I learned that that God does come through. God does provide. And so we're hoping as we go into this next season that we can continue our Illuminate level giving. Because I'm not going to pull back now. God is already providing. It's the idea of being generous. And when we're generous, we can make a huge impact for the kingdom. And when we're a loving and generous church, we're always looking for ways to give things away. We're, we're giving ourselves away. We're serving. We're, we're planting churches. And we're giving our best leaders away. When we planted a church in Vancouver, it, it, this is a true story, all the best leaders went. And I thought, I'm dead. And you know, it took about six months and I was just, I was I was trusting that stewardship theory. You know, if you give out, God will give back. And then pretty soon these leaders started to trickle in, new leaders, fantastic leaders. And God answered that prayer and he brought people. But you're giving, 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 giving to the community. It's really hard to do this during COVID. It's really hard to do this when the markets are all over the place. But it's important because Jesus is commanding it. And so the first section deals with giving up one's rights. That's how you love with this kind of love. The next section, I think is even more difficult. It's about loving people that are never going to return your love. In fact, loving others in Christ's kingdom means loving those who hate you. And obviously, this is not something that our culture would embrace. Especially in this time of ridiculous division that we live in. We are to love those who hate us or hate what we stand for. And, and this sermon is in front of thousands of people. It was shocking to them because they were living under this oppressive force of the Romans. And I, I keep pointing back to the Romans because that was the cultural shockwave. Love the Romans? What are you talking about? That's exactly what Jesus is asking his listeners to do. And in 43 through 47, it's a striking section. You have heard what it was said. Again, that's what the Pharisees had said. They were twisting the law. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, and here comes the truth, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? 
Do not even the Gentiles, the pagans, do the same? Jesus is not a wallflower. He is courageous and his words are cutting. He got right to the point. No wonder after a while people started walking away because this is hard. The Pharisees had apparently taught, hate your enemy. But Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19.18 here. And it's true that does say love your neighbor, but nowhere does the Bible ever teach in any section to hate your enemy. We are to love our neighbor. We are to love our enemy. And so the question becomes, who is our neighbor? And it really is anyone who I'm in a position to help. And so the, this Jewish audience had their own problems. They had this oppressing force that was occupying their land. But we've got people in our lives, too, that are really hard to even consider loving. We have ex-spouses. We have bullies. We've got gossips, people that gossip about us. We've got people who are verbally or physically abusive. We have those who are disrespectful or rude. How are we to extend kindness? How, How are we to even break through that? And then if you go to a broader scale... We've got terrorists, we've got violence, we've got those who are rioters and the like, and yet we are to look at them and find some level of love for them. Even someone who's not in your political party. And I'm not kidding. It's amazing how all of a sudden politics have divided everyone. And Jesus wouldn't have liked that at all. And so God sets the example for us. If you you want to know that it can be done, look what God does. He brings what we call common grace on those who are good and those who are evil, those who are just and who are unjust. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. And so God is still pouring out His grace on all people because He loves all people and desires them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gives us an action step here in verses 44 through 45. And you can look at this in your Bible. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And this means that you are aligning your character with God. You're growing. You're changing. You are becoming more like him. You are loving people with this kind of love. And, and you're approaching that, you know, that verse, perfect, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But here's the thing. We all have a choice to make in this. You can exhibit this new kind of love by giving up your rights, by putting aside your right to retaliate. You, you, can, you can love with this kind of love by finding a way to love those who continue to hurt you. And I'm saying, wisely don't walk into a situation where you're going to get hurt and some people you can't reconcile with but but here's the thing some aren't going to do that and they're going to take the easy way out and if you do that you're going to avoid being distinctive you're going to be in the shadows you're not going to stand out you're not going to be a person that's reflecting Christ to this lost world and so that's our choice And in 46 and 47, Jesus lays it out there. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? And so he uses the tax collectors a lot as his example of somebody you don't want to be like. And in our culture, we don't really understand this as much. But here's how it worked. The Romans charged exorbitant taxes. And they basically farmed out their tax collection system. So you could, if you're um, an entrepreneur, you could buy like a franchise. You could be a tax collector. And so not only did you go to the tax collector booth and pay exorbitant taxes that you couldn't afford, but then the tax collector would siphon more money off the top to put in their pockets and you pay even more. And so there was nobody that was more hated than tax collectors. And on top of that, they were Jews working for the Romans. They were, they were traitors. And Jesus is saying, you want to be like them? And I can see him just letting that weight just hang over them. Because nobody wants to be like that. And in imitating the Father's perfection, by lining ourselves up with him, we are fulfilling verse 48 about being perfect, like our Father is perfect. But to do that, we have to put aside religious hypocrisy. We have to put aside religion that just gives us adoration, selfish ambition, comfort. Because this is not comfortable. You're not going to go home today and say, wow, Paul, man, that was like a TED Talk of encouragement. But it's so important And here's the thing, if we can learn to enact this kind of love as a church, we can be a devastating force for Jesus, because this is not normal behavior. And so here's here's the point I want to make. Loving others in Christ's kingdom helps Ridgewood to be an effective church. I'm convinced that churches like ours are pretty good at most things, They're, they're pretty good at at, at, at teaching, they're pretty good at getting their theology straightened out, they're pretty good at music, they do all the stuff. But what churches aren't very good at is loving each other. Because that's why there's church splits. That's why people go from church to church to church to church. It's like a, like a merry-go-round. Because people aren't good at loving each other. And we've got to get, take this seriously because we cannot play games. Time is short. People need Jesus. And if you ask somebody, are you interested in church? And they say no, their number one thing would be because of the hypocrisy I've seen. We don't want it to be like that. We want to follow the Lord's command. And so here's a couple of tips you can use in order to do that. First, hold your rights and preferences with an open hand. Loving in a new, exciting way means you can exercise the highest form of love, which is agape love. That's the kind of love that puts everyone else ahead of you and is more important than you. And this could include things like welcoming music that is favored by another, even though you can't possibly understand why someone would like that. But you, you do you, you worship together. You don't sit out in the lobby till the music is done because you're going to come in. You're going to love your brothers and sisters. It could be understanding that you have no right to hold grudges against anyone. You have no right to enact revenge. 
You have no right to take a position of superiority over another. Because Jesus is saying in this kingdom, that's not how it works. You become a servant. It might, be, it might mean making church safe for those who don't fit into the evangelical box. You know, messy people, loud people, mentally ill people, people with disabilities, addicted people. We don't like that because we're inconvenienced. But wouldn't it be amazing if these pews were filled with messy people who are searching for Christ? That's what we want, is it not? Well, then we have to put aside our preferences and all the things that will block us from doing that and give ourselves a way to live in Christ's kingdom. And that's hard to do for everybody, including me. So it's not, it's not about your rights. It's about the good of another. Secondly, if you want to live like this, go above and beyond. Whether a person is kind or cruel is not the deciding factor. The Romans were despicable. They were vile. But he's saying to his listeners, if they ask you to do something, do more. And so you may have somebody in your life right now that is just really difficult. And you're just struggling. When you think of them, you just get tightened in your chest. And you just, oh. Jesus is saying, you've got to find a way to love that person. And when we come together as the body of Christ, and here's why, you know, online is good for now, and it's a tool we need to use, but it's not really church. Because what God wants us to do is gather together as a body. And here's what's going to happen, is you're going to get hurt. Because you're sitting here with a room full of sinners. And you're going to hurt somebody. I'm going to get hurt. And I'm going to hurt somebody. But when we're together, what we do then is we work it out, and we deepen our relationships, and we learn how to navigate that by living this kind of life. And so when somebody hurts me, my natural, my natural reaction is to draw back. Well, Jesus is saying you need to lean in. You need to get that right. So you're going to have to hold your rights with an open hand and go above and beyond whether a person is kind or cruel. And then finally, your love will help all of us become more like Christ because... As we live in the body of Christ, we help each other. And this distinctiveness in front of a watching world happens when we exhibit this kind of love. And then we can thrive and we can work alongside of God. We can do what we really want to do, and that's introduce people to Christ. But let me just say that the, the worst thing we can do right now in the middle of this politically nuts season is to be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and be presenting angry, demeaning posts. If you're doing that, I'm pointing at the Bible because I'm not the Holy Spirit, but you are violating Scripture. So, if you're going to be on those tools, then Send out encouraging messages, respectful messages. It's never okay to run somebody down. I don't care what political party they belong to. Because God loves even the people that you don't, just like he loved the Romans. So if we're going to be a loving community, 
That's how we are distinctive. And what really matters is that people come to know Jesus. And that's how it's done. And so you can make that happen. You can live like the Sermon on the Mount when you're empowered by the Spirit and you pray and you come alongside and God will help you. And what I want to do before you leave, I want you just to spend a moment and think about this. And so close your eyes and try to put aside distractions. I'm just going to ask you just some questions that maybe you can meditate on, you can ask God about, and you can take home with you. First, as you meditate on this, what are you holding on to? An offense? A grudge? Having to be right? Is there, is there someone you despise? Can you begin to pray for them? Can you begin to open your heart to not feel that way about them anymore? Just take a moment and let God speak to you. Father God, thank you for this beautiful flock that you have brought together at Ridgewood Church. And I pray, God, that you would bless each person here. I pray that you would bring joy and unity and protection from an enemy that wants to divide, an enemy that wants to ruin relationships or protect us from that enemy. And God, I pray that we would learn how to love well because time is running out. People who are watching us need Jesus. The people that we are in community with are made in your image. And so when we are cruel or judgmental or when we gossip about, we are really gossiping about your children and that's not okay. So help our church to be unique and loving and kind. And help us to know how to live in your kingdom. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.